everybody. Got to close those windows. I really wanted to just let the air flow in and let the Holy Spirit just kind of come in and just take over this building, right? Um, but man, uh, just grateful to have you guys uh, here with us and uh, uh, grateful for this weather. Um, just really trying to enjoy it. Got my short sleeve t-shirt on. Um, trying, trying to be comfortable and, and just enjoy this. Uh, man, this is, uh, we're in week three of this uh, message series that we started right after the new year called Intimacy Issues. And man, it is everything that you would imagine by that title. <laughs> intimacy Issues. Uh, man, it's really about um, uh, uh, intimacy uh, with God. Uh, uh, intimacy with God is our vision for this church for this year, for 2020. So we're just kicking off 2020. Uh, man, I'm excited about it. Um, and the reason I'm excited about it, because this vision wasn't just for me. Um, but man, I had this concept on my heart uh, of intimacy with God. And uh, man, it was on somebody else's heart too. Uh, one of our leaders, Charles. And when Charles and I were going back and forth about vision, um, I was like, yeah, this is on my heart. And he's like, this is on my heart too. I was like, perfect. Man, uh, when, when there's a vision or you feel like you've got something in your heart and uh, it's confirmed by two or more people and it's biblical, uh, you can be confident that it's a vision from God. Um, so Charles and I were like, let's roll with this. So, man, uh, intimacy with God, uh, I'm excited about that. I want more intimacy with God. I need more intimacy with God. Um, and I just know, uh, man, you guys want more intimacy with God, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> Be excited about that, man. Uh, growing intimacy with God, because this message series, um, man, that it's all about growing intimacy with God, but intimacy with God, it always leads, uh, there's always fruit from that in our lives, in our daily lives. So, man, one of the reasons we struggle so much with intimacy in our lives and relationships, whether it's our marriage or people that we work with, uh, friendships and things like that, we just really struggle with intimacy, right? We really struggle with loving people well, but also receiving love, being intimate with people, but receiving intimacy from people. We're just really complicated people. I'm complicated. Like, I'm just being honest with you. Um, man, we just struggle with that. But the reason is because it's always a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue, and it's because of our intimacy with God. Um, it's broken. Man, it's not what it could be. And we have to always be pursuing and growing in intimacy with God. And when we do that, man, then we'll see fruit of that in our relationships. So this message series is not about uh, how to be more intimate with your wife or, or your husband. That's not what this is about. Or intimacy in the workplace with people you work with. Uh, no, this is strictly about intimacy with God. Intimacy with God and then, man, uh, I'm confident and I trust God that um, the fruit will be born in your lives if we get that right, if we get intimacy with God right. And the first week, the first week in John chapter 17, man, we learned about what exactly intimacy with God means um, and why it's important and that, that intimacy is difficult with God. Uh, last week, we learned about why it's difficult, um, how it got broken, why do we struggle so much with intimacy with God. And man, we learned about all those awesome subjects about sin and, you know, brokenness and all that stuff we love to hear about, right? Um, our broken nature and uh, our, our severed relationship with God. And, and now today, today we're going to learn how intimacy with God returns to our life. How it returns to our life. And, uh, and we're going to learn two ways that the scripture tells us, two ways on how we can grow uh, in intimacy uh, with God. So let's get into the text. Let's get into the text. 
It's in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to start with, uh, or 2 through 12, sorry. I'm going to start with verses 2 uh, through 7. And it's the scripture, it says this. It's in the book of Philippians. It's a letter written to the Philippian church, uh, this, this, this city called Philippi uh, in the ancient Middle East. And uh, Paul writes this letter to this church of, 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 of uh, people who are following Christ. And he writes this letter to this church. And part of this letter, so he starts here in, in chapter 3 of the book. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Man, that's intense. We'll talk about that. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I really want to emphasize uh, Paul's repeated use here in the scripture. Three times he says this uh, phrase, confidence in the flesh. Man, when you're reading scripture and you see like a repeated use of a phrase or a word, it's very, very likely that God's trying to say something here. So you want to focus on that repeated phrase or that repeated word and, and pray about it and study it and, and ask questions. Well, what does that mean? Right? So he's got this repeated use three times with this phrase, this phrase confidence in the flesh. But what does that mean? Well, to find out what that means is you, you got to start with the dogs, right? You start with the dogs. What the heck does he mean by that? What does he mean by look out for the dogs? Man, uh, uh, the dogs um, that he's referring to are these Jewish uh, religious professionals who they actually uh, believe Jesus was Savior. Uh, they believe that he was the Messiah, but they believe only of the Jews, they believed that only of the Jews. So if you were a Gentile, uh, a non-Jewish person like us for the most part, if you were a Gentile, uh, they had to become Jewish first for Jesus to be the Savior. They had to become Jewish first by conforming to Jewish rituals. Right? By conforming to Jewish rituals. And, and here in this text, he's talking about one of these rituals, which is circumcision. Right? I know, crazy. Yep, it's circumcision. It's everything you're thinking about. It really is that. Um, and that's one of uh, the rituals uh, that he's referring to that these, these Jewish uh, religious professionals are, are, are talking about. And these Gentiles, they have to follow this. You can have Jesus as Savior, but you got to become Jewish. And to become Jewish, you've got to follow all these rules and these laws and, and, and things like that. Um, that that's how it works. Uh, man, uh, circumcision, it was a practice uh, God used and prescribed in Old Testament law as a requirement uh, for the Israelites uh, and as a symbol of his covenant with them. 
Um, and uh, the Old Testament law, though, uh, you, you would, you'll learn is that uh, they, it was never a means to salvation. Like, if you do these things, you'll be saved. Um, it was never a means to, to salvation. Like, if you, if you, if you circumcise yourself, um, you'll be saved. That's not what it was about. Rather, it was a picture. God's law is a picture of God's holiness. So we recognize our need for forgiveness. Man, without the law... Without the law, we would never know if we're sinning or not, right? If we don't have some kind of, if we don't have some kind of like these guidelines uh, that tell us, right? Um, you can't tell somebody um, that, you know, you're at an intersection and they have to stop, right? But there's no stop signs. So, you know, you can't tell them they're wrong, right? Well, that's basically what Old Testament law is, is, man, God is putting these stop signs. He's putting these green lights and these red lights in Old Testament law, you know, and you can do this and you, you can't do this. And, uh, and, and his law really reflects and points to his character, to his holiness, to his perfection, right? And, and his law is there to bless us and to free us, not to restrict us or constrict us. Um, it's there to free us, so that's kind of what the law and what circumcision was all about. And, and so God himself, God himself came in Christ to perfectly fulfill the law, to do what we can't do. We can't perfectly fulfill God's law. So he came as him, himself in Christ to do it for us. Jesus was the perfect and spotless sacrifice that the Father requires to be saved to have salvation, to experience God and his character, to experience intimacy with God and relationship with God. There has to be a sacrifice for our sins, and Jesus was that. So here in the text, Paul's like, no, 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 no. The use of circumcision was so erroneous to Paul for, the, for, the, for that use of salvation. It was so erroneous to Paul that to him it was just a mutilation of the flesh. That's what that's about. That's all it was to him. That's all it was to him. So Paul, he then explains that if these legalists have confidence in their work, man, he has more. He has more. He has a better resume. So he goes off and lists this resume in the text, right? Paul, he was very well known in Judaism circles and, and religious circles as being like the creme de la creme. He was like the, the cream of the crop of people who were following God's law. Um, if there was anybody that was doing it well, <laughs> it was him. He was like the creme de la creme. And he's saying, man, if you're talking about a qualifications, man, uh, if you think you're good at it, well, look at my resume. I'm good at it. I'm better than you. <laughs> I have these qualifications. Paul's pedigree was of the finest. And if the law was the basis of salvation, he was more qualified than any other, than any other person. But his qualifications were of no credit to him that we find here in this text. His qualifications were of no credit to him. And what he once thought was gain, this resume that he has, this resume that he built up, it actually turned out it's his loss. It was his loss. He counts it as loss. So how, this is how intimacy with God returns. This is how, with how intimacy with God returns. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It was always was faith. Even in the Old Testament with the Israelites, it was always faith. It was always faith. It's not our own doing, so we can't boast. 
We can't boast. Confidence in our own performance, not in God's mercy and his grace on the cross, stifles intimacy with God. Confidence in our own flesh. That's what that means. Confidence in our own performance and confidence in ourself stifles intimacy with God. Paul is telling us not to trap ourselves in what's called, it's called legalism. It's called legalism. Our works, our effort, our qualifications to be right with God, to gain God's favor, to gain salvation, because it locks you into this. It locks you into a me-first mentality. Understand that. Legalism locks you into a me-first mentality, a self-centered mentality. And it plays out in our lives in lots of obvious and subtle ways. Man, if our confidence is in our flesh, if our confidence is in ourselves, man, we'll never know if we're right with God. You know why? Because we mess up every day. Man, we are up, we're down, we're sideways one day, we're inside out another day. Man, we, we, we just, we're complicated, man. We mess up. Man, we're a wreck, if we're being honest. Man, if I'm being honest, I'm a wreck four days a week. I'm a complicated person. And if, man, if my salvation is based on me and my work and confidence in my flesh, I'm never going to have peace. I'm never going to have peace, man. I'm never going to know, man, am I right? Because I'm so up and down. We'll never have peace. But man, if, if, our, if our confidence is in Christ and his perfect work on the cross, I have certainty. Because it's not on my ends. It's on God's ends. I have absolute certainty that I can be saved if my confidence is in Christ. Because that's the truth of the gospel. Is when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, what, what happens is uh, we receive Jesus' righteousness. We, we still struggle with sin and we always will until we die. But man, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Christ's righteousness. It's placed upon us like clothes. And God sees Christ's righteousness on us and not our own sin. That's an incredible truth of the gospel and one that's really hard for people to just really digest and understand. But that's the truth of the gospel. And when our confidence is in ourselves, man, it also plays itself out in lots of other ways, man. We compare ourselves to others, right? That me-first mentality, that self-centered mentality we get when we want this confidence in ourselves. We compare ourselves to others. We compare others to others, right? We compare others to ourselves. We do that. Just all these, we play these comparison games. Man, when our confidence is in our own flesh, we're, we're inordinately harsh. We're inordinately critical of people. We're harsh and we're critical and judgmental of people. Man, when our confidence is in our own flesh, we'll avoid going to certain people. We'll avoid people. We'll keep certain people away from us. You know, it, it depends on, you know, uh, the qualifications we have for people and being in our lives. Man, when our confidence is in our flesh, we'll keep people away. We'll avoid people. We'll cover sin. We'll cover sin instead of repenting and confessing in humility. Man, when our confidence is in our own flesh, our criticism will cut us to the core. Criticism will cut us to the core and we won't receive it with humility. 
we won't receive it with humility and seek to find the truth in it. Man, in any criticism, I'm a big believer that, man, there's probably about 5% of it that, that is true. So instead of it cutting to the core and lashing out on somebody, listen to the person's criticism and really seek to find that 5% of that criticism and just receive it with humility. Man, but when our confidence is in our own flesh, right? Man, we won't do that. Man, we get super offended. We get super offended and we'll lash out and, and, and it'll just, a snowball effect will happen of arguing or whatever, this, this, and that. It really can really happen in our marriages, right? You know, when our spouses, they're trying to give us feedback, <laughs> you know? And you know, one, of, one of the spouses, my wife and I experience this a lot, you know, giving each other feedback and we can take it critically and take it to heart. And it's something we struggle with as spouses. Man, well, we got to root that out. We got to root that out. And that's happening because our confidence is in our flesh and our identity is not in Christ. Our identity is not in Christ. All these symptoms that I've talked about of legalism, they subtly isolate us from people. They subtly isolate us from people and stifle intimacy with others. They stifle intimacy with others. So we've got to have check our confidence at the door. Where is your confidence, man? Right now, today, you leave those doors. Have that answered, honestly. Man, is my confidence in myself? Or is my confidence in Christ and what he has done for me? Because, man, that, that, that will make all the difference in your life. It makes all the difference in your intimacy with God and then your intimacy with others in your life is where your confidence is. So now we look at a few intimacy, uh, a few ways intimacy grows and how it happens in our lives. And Paul, he shares some really like kind of eye-opening aspects of intimacy with God. These are actually aren't, these aren't things that you would think of naturally, um, how we would grow in intimacy with God. And the, one of the reasons I love uh, these two things is because these ways that we grow in intimacy with God, um, you know, as people, like we love to have things that we can do and we have control over. Over. And uh, man, just tell me to do something and I'll do it. Like if it's something that I can control, right? Well, these things are actually things that we can't control. Uh, we can't control these two ways. Um, I can't just go do them, right? So it's actually, it's initiated and it's on God's side. It's on his end uh, to grow us. Man, it really has nothing to do with some things that I can do. So let's get into the text and we're going to learn what these two ways that we can grow in intimacy with God and ultimately uh, with others in our lives. The scripture, he continues, he says in verse uh, 7, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. He's talking about his qualifications. He counts them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, Right? He means confidence in the flesh, not having a, right, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. So confidence in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Man, Paul, he starts using language we've talked about the past two weeks. The surpassing worth of knowing, knowing Christ Jesus, and he says, my Lord. That's intimacy. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You'll never find the word uh, intimacy in the Bible. But that doesn't mean intimacy is not in the Bible. But the word to know represents intimacy with God. To know God. To know Christ. It represents intimacy with God. A deep closeness. A real relationship with God. And to be intimate with God, we talked about, it's not to be intellectually informed about him, but to experience his presence. To experience his presence. Man, we live in a world where social media, social media, I love social media. I'm on it, you know, and there's lots of good things about it. But man, social media is overestimated as a form of intimacy and meaningful community. Is it not? It's way overestimated. You know, we think we know somebody just because, like, we see them on, on Instagram and, the, like, snapshots of their lives that are happening, and we just think we know them just because we see them on Instagram when it's really, it's just incomplete info. And we really don't actually know them. We don't know them. We don't interact with them. We don't participate in their lives. And we grow, like, a false sense of attachment to people. Like you really see this with like celebrities when you follow like celebrity Instagrams. Oh man, like I know Kim Kardashian. I see all her pictures, right? I know her. It's a false sense of attachment that we have with like these celebrities and we do it with other people too. But man, that's not what intimacy with God is like. That's not what intimacy with God is like. To know God, it's not to know about him. It's not just to see little snapshots of God, right? From afar, from a distance, little random pictures. It's actually to enter into his existence in a really personal way, enter into his being, enter into his character, enter into his personality, and we do that through Jesus. Through Jesus Christ, man, he went infinite lengths to make himself known personally and intimately in Jesus Christ. So it's not knowing info about God. Man, it's to know him personally, to experience him, to participate in who he is. So that said, man, we see here in the text two ways, and they're not the only ways that we grow in intimacy with God. They're not the only ways, but he gives us two ways that we, part, that we participate in God. That we participate in, in who he is. And we grow in intimacy with God. And the first one, because right, right there he says, to know Christ, that I may know him. And then he says, and the power of his resurrection. To know the power of his resurrection. That's the first one. The power.
power of his resurrection. Man, we grow in intimacy with God as we experience transformation in our lives. I was just sharing with you the core value, transformation and growth. Man, we grow in intimacy with God as we experience transformation in our lives. Now allow me to explain. The resurrection of Jesus was a reversal of sin and death. That's what the reverse, that's what, that's what the resurrection was. It was a miraculous reversal of sin and death. Paul wants to experience this reversal in his life. He wants to experience that resurrection in his life. When we put our faith and our confidence, and our confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power that resurrected Jesus is placed inside of us through the Holy Spirit. It's placed inside of us through faith in the gospel, that confidence in the gospel, not my own flesh, confidence in Christ, we die to ourselves. A death happens. A death happens. We die to ourselves and we are resurrected into new life with Christ. New life. To know God, to have intimacy with God, to know God is to know his power through progressive transformation in our lives, changing. And as we do, man, we grow in intimacy with God as we experience this power of the resurrection in our lives. And Paul's like, man, I want that. I want that. Do you want that? The scripture's asking us, do you want to know the power of his resurrection? I've experienced it. Man, God has delivered me from things. Man, when I came to Christ in, in 2009, God has delivered me from things. Man, he has delivered me from pornography. He has delivered me from, from the way I, I was objectifying women. He has delivered me from that. Man, he continues to deliver me from lust in my life. He continues to transform me and change me. Man, God delivered me from abusing the gift of this mouth. He delivered me from that. Man, I used to be a potty mouth. Can you imagine? Man, cursing left and right, talking trash, gossip, all kinds of stuff, man. God delivered me from that. He delivered me from abusing his gift of my mouth. I'm not going to lie, I still slip up. I still slip up. Sometimes I get really mad at home with the kids and I say a bad word. I'm not going to lie. But man, I know there has been a consistent change, a powerful, consistent change, where man, he's using my mouth for different things now and not what they used to be. I'm not a slave to my mouth anymore. My mouth is a slave to me. I should say my mouth is, is, is a slave to Jesus. God has delivered me from a, a deceptive mind. Yeah, I used to be a, a, just like a flagrant liar. I used to lie all the time. I used to have this deceptive mind, one that was apt to frequently lie, and to, to one that desires only to give truth and to live in truth. Man, he's delivered me from these things. I have experienced and I continue to experience the power of his resurrection, and I am so grateful that I experienced growing intimacy with God through the power of his resurrection. Can you look at your life? Is there change? Is there transformation? 
Have you experienced the power of his resurrection in your life? And are you growing in intimacy with God through that experience? You know, in a culture where there is no absolute morality, that's the culture we live in now. There's no right or wrong. Everything's okay. You just choose. Whatever is good for you and whatever is right for you, then that's right for you. And when we live in a culture that way, nobody thinks they need to be changed. I don't think I need to be transformed. You know, if society thinks what I'm doing is wrong, I don't think it's wrong, so I don't need to be changed. That's the society that we live in. But man, that's not right. It doesn't work out. It doesn't hold water. Because the, the truth is, is we live in a world where there is absolute right and wrong. There is absolute morality. And it comes from God. It comes from God. That's the world we live in. People who put confidence in themselves, they don't think they need to change. They don't think they need to be transformed. People who put confidence in their flesh. So we have to ask these questions. Am I changing? Am I transforming? Do I see this reversal of sin? This reversal of death in my life? What does intimacy through the power of this resurrection mean for my daily life and my relationships? And what does it mean for that? Man, experiencing the power of his resurrection through transformation and reversal of sin deeply impacts our relationships. Deeply. A vast majority of our sin, if you think about it, I was thinking about this. A vast majority, like a significant majority of our sin is related to how we interact with others in our relationships, right? Our sin is almost always at the expense of somebody else. Almost always. When we deceive somebody, we deceive somebody, right? We cheat somebody out of something. It's at the expense of somebody else. When we murder, we murder somebody, right? We take something from somebody. When we lie, we lie to somebody. It's at the expense of somebody else. When we commit adultery, we cheat somebody. We hurt somebody when we do that. When we curse and verbally assault somebody, it wounds somebody. It wounds somebody. Man, when I steal, I'm stealing from somebody. I'm taking something from somebody. Man, that's significant. One by one, our sins deteriorate intimacy with others. One by one, it adds up over time. You know, marriages don't just like fall apart right away. Like, you know, it's great one day and it just goes to, 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 the, to the can the next day. It's years and years of just developing and an overlapping of little sin, little sin, little sin after another. And it, and, and it just builds up over the years and it, and, and it just comes to a, a head after a long period of time. One by one, our sins deteriorate intimacy with others, but the power of the resurrection reverses it. It reverses it, and it starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. Nothing can reverse this but faith, confidence in Christ. Confidence in the flesh can't do anything. It has no power. It's confidence in Christ and, and his atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what's the second way? What's the second way that we can grow into intimacy and intimacy with God? And it says right after that, Paul's like, man, I want to share his sufferings. 
I want to share his sufferings and become like Jesus in his death. That's, that's, that's like a heady statement. Like, what does that mean? Becoming like him in his death, and I, I want to share in his sufferings. Who wants to suffer? Right? We grow in intimacy with God through suffering. That's what he says. Whether persecution or physical or emotional suffering, there is value in suffering. Man, value in suffering is, is against our way of thinking. Our self-centeredness is repulsed by discomfort, is it not? It's repulsed by suffering. Man, we don't want to suffer. We hate suffering, right? Man, we live in a culture where our culture doesn't teach us well how to suffer. It doesn't teach us well how to suffer or to see the value or the meaning in suffering. To our culture, suffering is just an interruption to our life. But man, biblically, when we look at suffering, suffering is actually, it's the way of life. It's the way of God. It's the way. Man, whenever we suffer, large or small, whenever we suffer, we're experiencing a death. And we're becoming like Jesus in his death. That's happening. Man, when we say no to a particular temptation, you know, we, we, we all struggle with temptations. When we say no to a temptation, large or small, there's a sense of suffering. There's a sense of suffering and we, become, we experience a death. It's a death of self. We're going against our flesh, our sinful flesh, and saying no to that temptation. And we experience a death. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. You know, last year, the, the Super Bowl, I really wanted to watch the Super Bowl, right? But we don't have cable. So I had this option to, you know, I can, I can cheat and, like, steal the game off somebody's account, you know? I could do that. Man, I really wanted to, right? But I had to overcome that temptation and just make that sacrifice in, turn, in, in, in favor of obedience to God. And I'm not going to lie, it kind of felt like a death. It kind of felt like a death, but seriously, man, when we say no to temptation, man, when we suffer, we become like Jesus in his death. It's completely against all human intuition to think that if God exists, he's a sufferer. Man, if there's a God, is he, he's a sufferer? Uh, that doesn't make sense. Man, it makes perfect sense. God is a sufferer. God is in control of all suffering, and yet he also entered our world in Christ and suffered alongside of us. He suffered alongside of us in Jesus. And we enter into God's nature. We enter into this intimacy with God. We enter into his nature and participate in who he is when we suffer. That's significant in how we view suffering. And the more we understand this, and the deeper that truth gets, the more intimate we become with God. Man, what, is this, what does sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death mean for, like, my life in our relationships? Man, suffering, the suffering of, uh, of somebody often turns us off. Does it not? When somebody, you know, a friend or somebody we know, when they're just suffering immensely, you know, oftentimes it just kind of turns us off from them. And we don't want to enter into their misery <laughs> to protect ourselves. Do we do that sometimes? Now, that's a really common way. But when we suffer, 
man, when we suffer and we enter into Christ's suffering and share his sufferings and become like him in his death, it humbles us. It softens us. It puts us in a position to have empathy, cultivating intimacy with people. You know? Like if somebody has a miscarriage, that, that all, that's, that's something that we suffer legitimately. But then it actually puts them in a position to actually have empathy for other people who are suffering from that. And that can grow intimacy in relationships and how they view people. Man, there are people that I know, a few that I have in my mind, there are people that I know who have suffered immensely all of their lives. And the only thing that I can explain is that it's just their lot in life. <laughs> that God has made their lot in life to just suffer immensely throughout their whole life. It's just their lot in life. But, man, they have persevered in faith and they seem to have just this heightened, this heightened level of intimacy with God that I just can't explain. Man, these people I know are so intimate with God. It's because of suffering. It's because of the suffering they have endured in their life. Man, honestly, I want that intimacy with God, but I don't want all that suffering. I don't. But you know what? Man, if that's what it takes, God, bring it. <laughs> Whatever is your will, let your will be done in my life to grow in intimacy with you. So we shouldn't seek out suffering. Man, yeah, okay, suffering, man, it, it helps me grow in intimacy with God. It sounds awesome. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make myself suffer, right? There's people that do that. It's crazy. It's got like a name for it. I don't remember what it is. Masochist, yeah, is that what it is? Man, they seek suffering. They want to suffer and they find ways they can make themselves suffer. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be seeking out suffering, but we actually shouldn't actively avoid it or deny it either. We shouldn't actively avoid it or deny it either. God's purposes through suffering go well beyond the way we naturally think about suffering. So when it comes, embrace it. Embrace it. Remember this truth. God, you're going to grow me in intimacy with you. I want intimacy with you more than I want to not suffer. <laughs> I want intimacy with you more than I want to not suffer. And knowing the truth that we become more intimate with God through our suffering and becoming like Jesus in his death, it'll impact our relationships if we allow it to if we allow it to. Man, intimacy returns with, with us. It returns to us through faith, through confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ, through confidence in God, not confidence in our flesh. It returns through this confidence in Christ alone. Man, in these two ways we grow in that intimacy is experiencing the power of his resurrection the reversal of sin and death in our life, experiencing that, and then sharing in his suffering. It comes through suffering and becoming like Jesus in his death.